folding pocket. Hello and welcome to the Fast and the Curious for a very special episode. I am so excited because I've I'm looking at the most incredible food well, in front of uh, me. Hello, by the way. Yes, I'm, I'm Christian Hugel. I also present this <laughs> podcast. It is a very special episode uh, because we like to say we're the podcast hosted by the drivers because we are. We have the likes of Lando Norris, Oscar Piastri, Alex Albon, Logan Sargent, only on last week and many more besides. And this week's driver is very exciting. Team Principal Greg James, hello. Hello there. This is cool, isn't it? It's very cool. This is the first time we've been invited to a driver's house. And that driver is Karun Chanduk. Well, thank you for coming. I can't drive as well as any of them, but I bet I can, I can probably cook better than them. A hundred percent. Having tried some already, let me assure you, you can. Other than just eating a curry, we are actually going to talk about the 2024 season. So we're going to preview the 2024 season in a double episode. Uh, so we're going to take a look at what's gone on since the last race of 2023 in Abu Dhabi, which sound, seems like an absolute <laughs> year ago. A very quiet winter. A very, very quiet, quiet winter. Very quiet. <laughs> We're going to chat about all the drivers' moves and how that could affect the season and some of our own predictions for the year as well. And we're also going to talk about Karun's incredible life and how we even got into racing in the first it place. It would seem rude not to as he has invited us into his actual home. Just before we start the podcast, uh, Betty, what's just happened, please? It's actually so embarrassing. <laughs> Karun, I would like to take a moment to just apologise to you for knocking over my gin and tonic that you just made for me all over your dining table, which mm. was made, which was set up with your lovely curry on it, and I just ruined everything. Yeah, but listen, you're a good house guest because you cleaned up after yourself, so That's there you true. go. Yeah. Although, Thanks. she does owe you the vast majority of the kitchen roll. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there is that. I owe what you is, a kitchen roll, Is it 45 feet? I'll transfer it to you, yeah. don't yeah, okay, you thanks. Well, welcome to the Fast and the Curious, or as I'm calling it, the Fast and the Curious. Oh, good. Okay. good. Excellent. Karun... This is so unbelievably kind of you. We are in your house. You invited us here to have dinner, to talk about Formula One, to talk about everything. Why did you do this for us? I mean, we're well, so unbelievably excited to be here. Me and Christian were on the train going, this is absolutely mad, but thank you. No, well, first of all, welcome. Um, we, you know, I, I had a really fun time with you guys when we went to Brooklyn's and did our end of season thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we got chatting with and saying we, we should do a little pre-season curry. And, um, you know, I, I, it's, it must be the Indian blood in me. I think, you know, when you, when you break bread together, you get gossipy and <laughs> chat about life and put the world to right. And, you know, yeah, yeah why not? And oh, well, if only there was something to gossip about in Formula One. <laughs> oh, no, we we need some news. <laughs> so um, this, is a, this is a mashup of the Fast and the Curious plus um, that podcast called Dish that Nick Grimshaw does, mm. um, uh, and also the Jessie Ware and her mum podcast, Table Manners. Tell us what you've cooked for us today. Well, I have done my, so the, I've done my family's sort of special um, chicken curry, oh, which has got uh, cinnamon and fennel and all sorts of oh stuff in it. Uh, I've done minced lamb. I've done 
um, Bombay roast potatoes oh, in the air fryer. They oh. just look uh, next level. Uh, chickpeas yes. and and some some zucchini. So I mean, those potatoes, I think, are the best things I've ever seen in my well, life. Well, there you go. Then you can. Off you go. I'm going to have to start. <laughs> you, you, you can start. <laughs> and we, we've go. spoken once or twice on this podcast about my love for Formula One. Yeah. We've never spoken about my love for curry. I <laughs> love curry. It's why. It's oh, my, good. It's, I adore it. Curry and steak, my two favourite things of all Is time. It? I think you don't mean steak. You mean steak, salber, kick, kick team, salber. For legal reasons, maybe not steak, steak anymore. Just so we're clear, I'm just going to call them salber. I'm right. calling them salber as well. No, I'm I calling them call. steak and drake. <laughs> I, one of the things I wanted to ask you was whether you do this a lot, but on the way here, mm. I got oh. some intel from another friend of the Fast and the Curious, another part of the motorsport community, Alex Brundle, who's been on the podcast. Right. And Alex has informed me that Karun's Curry Nights are a bit of a thing and a bit oh. of a known thing is that oh. is alex right with his information i've just had my first mouthful this is absolutely delicious this is i'm in heaven oh, I, I'm not well gonna, no I'm sorry not the non breads are in there sorry I'm just gonna listen rice. um i i think alex came to my that was my biggest ever curry night wow was i i cooked for we were still living in london at the time and i i had 28 racing drivers they sorry whoa, be, whoa, 28 yeah. around the table it's really important because it's a you know it's a community of people who all think the same way, and uh, but don't necessarily get to socialise in a relaxed way. So, yeah, I and I enjoy cooking. So there you go. I'm sorry, Christian. Better you're you're doing this chat. I'm meeting. <laughs> this is. I, I don't think even Jimmy's producing now. So you you cook for people, but surely you've been to big dinners with with other people cooking and F1 drivers <laughs> entertaining you. Surely as a as a well, as a thank you. When I was racing in GP2, Perez, Checo was doing F3. And I, he raced with the team that I used to race with. So we were, you know, we were friends and that's, uh, so we got to know each other quite well. And he was living with another Lebanese friend of ours, Khalil Bashir. And he, they called us up and said, we'll cook tonight. So we went around and basically Checo had chopped an onion. Khalil had chopped a red pepper and they got some minced beef. And they sort of stood there, poured some oil in a pan and just chucked this all in, and then didn't know what to do. So Khalil went to the fridge and got some ketchup, looked at Checo and he went, yeah, I think that'll work. And then like, he just poured this ketchup on there. And um, well, I've sort of segued into F1. Um, I, hope, I hope he has a better year because he's, he's a good lad, you know. Checo. Yeah. Can't cook. Interesting. Can't cook. But, that's, but then I, he doesn't need to because he's now a multi-millionaire racing driver. That's impossible. Whereas why. I'm still here cooking. What does that tell you about my bank balance? <laughs> <laughs> I think it means that you're still having a very interesting, normal, grounded life. Yeah, but you, maybe that. But you dip into this mad world because mm. I do feel sad sometimes for those multi-millionaire power- drivers to a certain extent <laughs> because they don't live in the real world. They don't. They live in mad houses in the middle of nowhere. Ba- ba- rarely are they home. Must find it very difficult to ma- make friends. Find it hard to hold down relationships. Learn things like cooking and socialising. Yeah. So it's probably quite normal for those drivers not to be able to cook yeah. and do but also normal, normal things. For me, it was a necessity. When I moved from India, you know, I grew up in like most Indian kids in this molly cuddled family environment where your mums and your grandmothers and all that look after you. So I, I came to England when I was 18 to race F3. I couldn't make a cup of tea. I, 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 my first attempt at boiled eggs, I broke four eggs because I couldn't work out the technique to get in the water. Um, I could make scrambled eggs and toast, and that was basically it. I couldn't afford to be eating out all the time, or, or this, so you just like, 
necessities mother of invention, isn't it? You just crack on. Can you talk us through your career then? How did it all start for you? Because you've sort of painted the picture of what it was like, mm. you know, growing up with your family. I grew up in India, um, but in a motorsport family. My dad used to race, my granddad used to race and rally. Um, my grandmother used to compete. Which, really? Well, if you think of the context, especially of um, an Indian woman in the 70s with the social context of what's frowned upon and not and all the rest of it, it's pretty badass. That's amazing. Um, and she told the story. She, her favorite story is always how she, you know, the race she did and the door flew open and she carried on driving, holding the door with one hand and still finished third in this race and <laughs> had this little trophy and all the rest of it. So, um, so is that why you're such a maniac? Because uh, no. you are a, you are a notorious maniac, aren't you? I mean, you're you're. I mean, a maniac. I mean, a brave <laughs> driver who really pushes it. Uh, I I you know what? I grew up just surrounded with cars and all the rest of it, but we had no karting. So I I would be one of the last drivers to have made it to F one, never to have done a go kart race in my life. Have you still not done a go kart no. race in your life? Oh, apart from you know the fun charity things that we all yeah. get to do once in a while, but. You know, I started racing when I was 16, which in hindsight, you look back and you go, what a disadvantage, actually. So anyway, no excuses. That's, that's just life. Um, so yeah, I, I raced in India for a year, raced in Asia, traveling around, and then came to race F3. So actually extraordinary that you made it to Formula One. That, that path is not... That's uh, not how, conventional. Really. No, no, it's not no, conventional. I, how, how big in, is F1 in India? Well, let's give, it con- let's give it context, right? There's 1.3 billion Indians and there are two Formula One drivers. I mean... So that's a pretty small club. That's wild. The other thing is, when you don't come from a multi-millionaire family, it's bloody hard. And you come from a country like India, people don't realise there's, there's lots of things that happen along the way. It, it's a pretty daunting thing. But I think it's an advantage as well. I, I, you know, Mark Webber and I talk about this because he had the same journey, right? From other part of the planet trying to make it. And you get this drive and hunger of, you know what, I've left all this behind and I've chased this dream. I, I can't fail and go back. Mm. Uh, and I think the Japanese drivers, the South Americans, the Asians, the Australians, we've got this extra sort of motivation that makes you charge through walls to make it happen. How did you make it then? How did, it, how did so, you manage mate, to make you, it happen? You got, you got a, you've obviously got to have a degree of ability, right? that's the core of it. But there's hundreds of drivers out there. I came through F3, ran out of money, went back to Asia and did a season there, won the Asian championship and thought, I'm done. Like I had no money to do anything. And Red Bull had their junior driver program and they were looking for drivers from Asia. And I became a Red Bull junior doing GP2. If I didn't get on that deal, I was, I'd actually started looking at a job as a team manager for a Formula 3 team because I was like, I still love motor racing. I want to work in motor racing, but I'm skinned. So what do you do? It's such a brutal sport if you don't have the money, isn't it? Mm. And it still is now. In many ways, Betty, you know what's happened is actually the top end of the sport. If I look at a budget for GP2 today, or Formula 2 as it's called now, is not vastly different if you, if you include inflation to what it was when I raced in it. Where the problem has come now is kids are spending half a million going karting to be doing what Lando did, for example. They would spend half a million to do a season That's of Formula 4. That's Sorry, madness. I did not know it would be that much. That's how I realised my career was over in racing because I've said before on this podcast, I'm realistic about my talent. I wasn't a bad kart racing driver. I wasn't ever going to make it to Formula 1. But I probably could have made it into some form of other category, other series. And when we 
looked at the cost of getting me a test in, I think, a Formula 4 car, it was more than what we'd spend in a season. And that was sort of the moment the penny dropped for me of like, it's not going to happen, is it? And that was when I started to focus my efforts on, as Karun said, with management of staying in motorsport in that, well, maybe I could be a broadcaster. But there was that moment for me of realising, yeah, this isn't, this isn't going to happen, is it? This is just, let's say, we, we can barely afford to keep going weekend on weekend, let alone finance a test in a different category. So I, I think in many ways, what I'd like to see is the system change from the bottom upwards, actually. You know, as I said, I think that the top end, whatever it is in F1 is F1 and F2 is F2, right? But we need to make it more accessible for kids in karting. Mm. You know, if, if we're going to now have this Netflix thing and we're having all the sky coverage and, we're, you know, we're trying to, we're doing all this stuff to popularize the sport. But if the kid in the school down the road can't actually take part, you know, you, it's, it's a really tricky situation. So to me... You know, Rob Smedley, who used to be at Ferrari, um, was, you know, and, and, and Williams and stuff. He, he, for example, is creating this karting thing, which is arrive and drive. So kids rock up. They don't need, because that's the other thing, right? Is if you don't have the knowledge about how to make a kart fast, dad and lad is not going to win. Yeah. Mm. They're not going to win against a kid spending half a million. So I can confirm, didn't win. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, to me, I think that's, that's the way karting should be. They should have... Like 30 carts lined up, the kids all go, pick a number out of a helmet, and it's like, well, that's your car, off you go, and you do some heats in a final, whatever mm. it is. And then it's meritocratic, right? And yeah, it's yeah. cheap, and it's, you, then it's, you're talking like two, three hundred pounds. I'm not saying two, it's nothing, but yeah. comparatively. No, but it's, you know, it's football boots, it's yeah. shin pads, gold, goldie gloves, whatever. And that's, that's, that's my dream for the sport, is I think that's where it becomes truly accessible. Mm. And I, I see it because, you know, I, follow a driver in front of me, get the racing line right, and see someone come away from me. And it's like, well, yeah. I'm not passing him because clearly his cart is far better than mine. And, and obviously, he didn't always get it right, but, you know. I will say, that there are those moments. I, I, I remember Brands Hatch, I was doing a Formula 3 race, and Lewis came. He was racing in Formula Renault that season, and he came to do a one-off F3 race at Brands Hatch. The, the, the only time in that entire junior formula career I followed somebody on track and thought I can't do what he does like mm. he's just mm. he's just sensational um, and it's quite a big thing because you're trying to have this belief in yourself and make your own journey when you just look at somebody and go you're just bloody good yeah and I do think the Hamiltons the Verstappens the Alonzos there's an extra spark they've got that something extra which puts them at the forefront of people's minds when they go Who's our next superstar? To move it back to your career, Karun, eventually you did make it to Formula One. Mm. And we had spoke to Karun on the live show about how difficult Formula One cars are to drive. And yet, Karun, you went into your debut in Formula One having barely driven the car, which is... No, never. My first lap in the car was in qualifying. What? I didn't, we didn't do the shakedown. So it's going to be in Bari. And I thought, well, okay, at least I know the circuit. It is what it is. We'll suck it up and be fine. I got there and they basically couldn't get the car ready. We went there and the first lap I drove was in qualifying. And then sure enough, we got to the next, I did like five or six laps, got to the race. And it's the first time they put 100, 100 kilos, I think it was at the time, maybe more, of fuel in the car. And it was too low because the weight of it and it bottomed down. The first lap spat me in the barriers. <laughs> so I was out in half a lap in my oh first my ever God. race. But that story of Karun making it to the grid that weekend and the way he put himself in the car, having never driven it in a qualifying session, 
is underrated in modern F1 history. And I've been going back through some of the old seasons recently. Bit much, but... Oh, it's, it's, it's... I mean, the whole story is underrated. Yeah. You're, yes. You're, Thank that, you, Greg. That, yeah. Where you started and where you got to is a completely underrated story. And I'm not just saying that because you filled no. my belly. <laughs> you filled my belly up with some delicious food. <laughs> there was a moment in this winter where I thought, do we bother doing the podcast throughout the winter? Because if, if all I'm getting is an yeah, episode I where we're going, so. oh, steak, sauber. I was about to switch it off until March. But then, mm-hmm. but then, but then. We, we should start right at the start, shouldn't we, with all of this and get Corinne's thoughts on the big news. Um, mm-hmm. It's dominated the headlines. It has changed the face of F1, arguably. Corinne, uh, the Spanish Grand Prix going to Madrid. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I, knew you I thought you were going to say the steak F1 <laughs> name. When the did Madrid you... Grand Prix. <laughs> the Madrid Grand Prix. The Australian <laughs> Grand Prix is going to be the first one. But what? Yeah. when did you find out? Were you getting... And when were you getting rumblings? Because you know people. It was... Honestly, they uh, they did a really good job of keeping it pretty quiet. Because it, it, was, it was that morning, Thursday morning. I got a call from... A friend of mine who, who works in, in Italy um, for one of the Italian papers out there. And when, listen, we've heard this from our sources in Maranello. Have you guys heard anything in England? The only people who I believe knew earlier were Charles and Carlos. Yeah. Mm. Um, really? Yeah. Uh, you know, so. When, when do you bring Toto Wolf into that discussion? Apparently, Toto and Lewis had coffee at Toto's house. Mm. The day before the announcement. Yeah. So, you know, we've all been in this situation where you're about to have an awkward conversation. Imagine Lewis knocking oh. on the front door being like, this is going to be an interesting one, isn't it? This is... Toto's there in his kitchen making his cappuccinos with oat milk. Not a care in the world. <laughs> and then Suddenly. Lewis, yeah. Bowls in. I made, oh. a, I made you a five egg omelette. <laughs> <laughs> Just like you like it. But a fair play to him. I mean, I, I love it. Is I, it I, the right move? Is it risky? Is it risky? Of course move? it's risky. But, you know, he, at this stage in life, the easy thing for him would be, I'm going to see out my Mercedes contract. I'm going to be a Mercedes ambassador for life. I'll go and do, you know, two more years and whatever happens, happens, that'll be it. For him to find the motivation to go to the team under the most pressure in the whole world of Formula One, arguably one of the top five in world sport, mm-hmm. he'll start at the contract when he's 40? Fair play. I mean, that's Jimmy Anderson spec mm. motivation, isn't it? Yeah. The thing that baffles me, actually, or interests me, is that Hamilton is going to have to drive for Mercedes hmm. for a whole year, knowing, and everyone else knows, that he's going to be moving to Ferrari. Yeah. What is that like? That must be so strange. It will be a bit awkward, won't it? Because there's going to be things, especially when it comes to the 25 and 26 cars, they'll have to hide from him. You know, they, they will have to hide development bits yeah, from him and not share those secrets. Mm. He's going away. That. Only a couple of days before the Lewis News came out, I'd been um, interviewing Dan Fallows. He's one of the big tech bosses of Aston Martin. Not Dan, not the Dan, 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 Dan Fallows. Dan Fallows? Are you ju- How did you get him? <laughs> For the benefit of the listeners, Christian has never looked so angry. He looks like we'll, he's we'll cry. post a screenshot of this. Well, he's never coming on this podcast now, is he? <laughs> he f- is. <laughs> one of the key men behind Sebastian Vettel's Red Bull World titles. Not one of the, one of the key men behind <laughs> Sebastian Vettel's. He's got a merchandise range. Anyway, what's, uh, what's No, that? don't worry about the story. No, no, no. No. Sod you all. 
<laughs> you ask, you, you say, let's do a podcast, say that you know about F1, then you try and do it, and then he gets thrown back in your face. Don't worry about it. Just because we've upgraded me and got an actual F1 driver now. Sorry, when, is Dan Valet turning up? Because <laughs> got food left. Otherwise, this is a complete waste of time. <laughs> I only came here because I thought that that was. <laughs> the, story, the story's not worth it now. Well, well what is this? Basically, Betty, so. wait, wait, Betty, do you want to hear the story about Dan Fellows? Because I do. I do want to hear right. about, on, Dan about Dan Fellows. He said that it can be very awkward when they know that drivers are leaving for the following season because <laughs> they have to keep bits quiet. But the last time it happened at Aston Martin, Sebastian Vettel was <laughs> retiring, so they didn't have to. Right. But then the following day after I'd had that chat about that exact happening, it happened. Can I just say, I'm, just, just I'm, being, I'm being a knob. It, it's genuinely interesting. <laughs> but the way you announced Dan Fellows, it's yeah. like you announced that fucking George Clooney was turning up. is that dynamic between Lewis Hamilton and Charles Leclerc going to work because Charles is like their number one man he can speak Italian but you you made the comment there that Leclerc is their number one man he's not anymore there's two votes of no confidence here one is Lewis to Mercedes saying I don't think you're going to give me a car good enough to fight Red Bull so I'm going to go somewhere else and look for one and the other one is Ferrari saying to Charles yeah you're bloody fast but can you put a season together over 24 races to take on Max Verstappen? Mm. We're not convinced, so we're going to bring in the other bloke on this planet who can. I wonder how Charles Leclerc is looking at it, because he could look at it in one or two, way, well, two ways, couldn't he? Because he could either be like, I'm going to learn from the best driver ever, and I'm going to take every little bit of knowledge from him, or he's going to be like, this is horrendous, I've been knocked off my perch, and I'm now number two, and whatever. If I was him... And I, th I think this is the way he would be looking at it, is if he beats Lewis Hamilton, his reputation's made. You know, he is, and this, we can all sit and debate this, but I think this is probably going to be Lewis's last team. This, this is legacy, right? This is, this is about legacy for Lewis. He's got squillions in the bank. He's been, this is his 18th season of F1 he's starting. This isn't about the money for him. He's earned more than, more than God. This is about legacy for him. If he can win a world championship for McLaren, Mercedes and Ferrari, there's only one driver in the history of the sport who's won championships for three or more teams, and that's Fangio. So, and for me, that's where Leclerc's head has got to be at, is if I can beat Lewis, then his reputation for the next... Because he's got another decade, yeah. Leclerc, at least. That, so I think that's where his, his head is going to be at. That's so interesting. Also, I don't think it's actually that much of a shift for Charles Leclerc I think if you look at the way the two were allowed to battle with each other at the Italian Grand Prix last year with Leclerc and Sainz and Fred Vasseur said, let them race. You look at the fact that the one non-Red Bull driver who won a race last year was Carlos Sainz. And you look at their time together as teammates. Has Charles convincingly beaten Carlos? No. Yeah, I don't true. think they have operated with a solid number one, number two driver. And therefore, I don't think it's as much of a change. I think, I think, Carlos is a, is a formidable opponent. And I think now Lewis is a formidable opponent. I, I don't think there's too much of a change in his mindset there. He still has to be a formidable opponent. Can I ask a question to both Formula One experts here? Geeks. Is there a massive difference in the chances of Lewis winning in Ferrari compared to Mercedes? Based on what you saw last season? Based on last season, No. I would argue that the, the reason Mercedes finished second in the championship last year was massively down to Lewis Hamilton. I think right. the cars were very even. What, what you've also got to keep in mind is we're talking about 
25, which is very much a transitional year. It's, it's a step to the new cars coming in 26. And it's, again, a whole new set of regulations, new cars, new engines, new... So Ferrari have clearly given Lewis the confidence that what they're going to do in 26 is going to be better than what he's going to get in Mercedes. I don't know what the new rules are. What, what does this mean? New engines. Um, so the hybrids are going to be 50% electric, 50% engine power. So it's a big change from now. Cars are going to look completely different. They'll be smaller. Aero. Really? Uh, smaller, lighter. So this is a complete reset. So really, so actually this, this could be a, a genuine reset, as in mm. Red Bull won't automatically be the best, fastest car. Without question. Wow. Well, I'm not saying without question it won't be the best, but it's a big reset. When there was the last reset, the first race of the new reset was 2022, and Red Bull came out and were better. Alonso and Vettel, as world champions, moved to Ferrari. All right, they didn't win, but do they regret driving for Ferrari? Probably not. Because every driver, wants, every driver to wants to drive a Ferrari. Ferrari. So I do think Lewis could be sat there thinking, I've spotted something. Or oh, I do think Lewis could also be sat there going, I just want to drive for Ferrari, so let's roll the dice, sod it. Looks nice in red, doesn't he? He, he do- does he look nice brilliant in red. in red. That was mm. the first thing I said, Greg. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's fantastic. Well, actually, talk, speaking of red, and, and you're one of your, one of your, your kids, uh, what's your, your, your eldest called? Kush. Kush is obsessed with one... Driver in particular. I had to break the news to him very gently that Carlos is leaving Ferrari. <laughs> Did he cry? Uh, no, he was just a bit confused. And well, where's, where's, where's he going to go? Where yeah, where's basically that was go? it. Where's he going to go? Is he not, you know? Um, Carlos is a lovely, lovely guy. And, you know, I've known him and his dad for, for many years. Um, I've actually got a picture from my first ever F1 weekend with Carlos. Like he was 15 years old in our Aww. in our pit garage. He'd come with his dad to come and have a look at these F1 cars. Wow. But yeah, it's you know my son is he's just a massive Carlos Sainz fan, and they have this you know this this friendship, and he he likes to send Carlos a little video, and Carlos is very kindly you know sends one back for his birthday, and oh, uh, whenever we go to the British Grand Prix, we you know we popped into Ferrari and. Have a look in the garage, and he gives him a little hat. And, uh, you know, he's he's an absolute Carlos Sainz super fan. He sits there, he sits there on the sofa when the race is on in his Ferrari shirt with his Ferrari flag and waves oh. along. And... So, what will he do now? Support Lewis? Well, I know it's going to be expensive for me to buy a whole load of new kit because I've just been buying him all this yeah, Ferrari stuff that he's now not going to use anymore. If I was you, <laughs> I would get on your phone and pretend to be your son and be like, "Hi, Carlos." Where are you going to go? What's the plan? <laughs> Just like discreetly pretending to be your son, you but actually you're getting, some, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're getting some info Because, yeah, it's harder to lie to kids, really, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Don't lie to me. I'm only five. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, this is, not, this is the other thing with, like, fickle children, aren't they? You know, he's already... It's interesting, the last couple of weeks he's pivoted a little bit. I was already going, I quite like Oscar Piastri. Oh, he's my Glory He's Hunter. my second favourite driver. And it's like, he's already Smart kid. pivoting. Who's your favourite? Where, yeah, where, you where, where's your private allegiance when there's a race? Well, we on? know he uh, hates Oscar Piastri, said that on the last podcast. <laughs> Only after the World Cup. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't say I have a favourite, but the driver, I always say the driver I enjoy watching the most is Fernando Alonso. Mm. I just think there's an energy about everything he does. Every every time he gets in the car and he leaves the pit garage, you just feel like something's going to happen. Like he's there's just there's there's something exciting about him. Yeah. But I think that's one of the things that I'm interested to see what happens at Ferrari because you know when when I sit in the commentary box at this what we call race control, I listen to the team radio of all the drivers and you can sort of 
you can tell a lot by their conversations and their tone and how flustered or flappy they get and, and also how much they dictate things from the cockpit. Mm. Like Fernando sitting there calling the strategy of four other cars around him saying, he'll do that and then when he does that, he'll do that. So then you've got to make sure we do this like yeah. in eight laps time. Watching oh. his teammate on the big screen. He's, just, he's, 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 he's my, you know, he's just... Uh, See, I think I like the, old, the older guys like that because they've just, yeah. they're the experts mm. and they're but still actually, going. Exactly. But then what's interesting is both Lewis and Charles, when I listen back, they tend to rely on the team to make the calls. Whereas Carlos has taken those big calls. You know, the reason he won that British Grand Prix was he ignored what Ferrari were telling him to do and he overtook Charlotte won the race. Um, Brazil, you know, other places like that. So I think for me, that is a different dynamic that Ferrari will now have at the team is they might now have two drivers who are putting the pressure back onto their strategy team to make the decisions more than, you know, from the cockpit. Well, um, at the very start of this episode, Betty promised that we'd be looking ahead to the 2024 season. We haven't really done that yet because, frankly, we've got very excited with Karun's life and career. We've eaten a lot of curry um, and we've enjoyed chatting about Lewis again. I mean, why not? We might as well milk it while the sun shines. But I think what we should do here is pause, Betty. Pause eating. I can't pause eating. We'll pause podcasting for a moment and we'll be back for part two where we'll look ahead to the 2024 season and, most importantly... Eat more curry here on the Fast and the Curious. Should we get a round drinks in? Yes. Oh, yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know, just at this point. Let's, shall, shall I clear some things? 